thanks for reading, Ben. Uh, it'd be great if you could keep uh, that chapter open as we uh, look at it uh, together this morning. Uh, well, doubt, uh, doubt is a part of life. Uh, there are good doubts. Uh, it's good to have a realistic view of uh, the world and not be taken in by scams. Uh, you can ask me uh, afterwards about all the scams that I have fallen to, uh, the tuxedo painting system, half-priced shoes on the internet, uh, the list goes on. Um, there are doubts, however, that cripple you, uh, doubts about yourself, doubts about uh, people that you should trust. Uh, in our Christian lives, it's natural to go through periods of doubt, but ultimately we shouldn't be crippled or consumed or defined by our doubts. I had a friend at university who was uh, studying uh, philosophy, Christian friend, and uh, it really crippled his Christian faith. He was wrapped up in his doubts. It almost got to the point where it seemed that he didn't even know if he even existed. Uh, as Christians, our lives should be marked by confidence. And that's ultimately because the reason for our confidence doesn't lie in ourselves, it lies in God and his word. And Luke has written this gospel to give us confidence and certainty. Uh, remember right back, uh, the very first uh, chapter, and uh, the fourth verse, uh, uh, why Luke has written to us. It is so that we may know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. That's why Luke is writing his gospel, to give us certainty about Christian truth. And the passage this morning gives us certainty and confidence about the resurrection. Uh, speaking personally, it is the resurrection of Jesus that is the reason that I keep going as a Christian. Uh, there have been uh, moments uh, when the thought has come to me, is this really true? I, I am basing my life on this. Is it really true? And it's the resurrection of Jesus that I've come back to and that has convinced me, yes, it is worth basing my life on. And that's actually uh, sort of something that Paul uh, thought about or considered in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He uh, made the hypothetical statement, if, if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection is not true, well then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. In fact, if the resurrection is not true, well then let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now, there really is no hope without the resurrection, and really, uh, the Christian life is a waste of time if the resurrection is not true. So it's really important uh, that we are uh, confident and convinced of the resurrection. And wonderfully, in God's kindness, he's given us this chapter to convince us and show us why the resurrection is true. And the chapter gives us four reasons that we can be confident that the resurrection is true. Now, there's more that can be said. Uh, Luke is not answering every objection that someone might have. In fact, he's not really even answering objections at all. He's simply showing us why we can be confident that the resurrection is true, in line with the reason that he wrote this gospel. But it's a very helpful chapter in grinding our faith in the resurrection, in stabilizing us if we have doubts. A great chapter to come back to uh, if doubts come to you. So four reasons we can be confident that Jesus 
was raised from the dead. First, because he promised it. He promised it. Uh, the chapter opens with the women going to the tomb to treat the body of Jesus with uh, spices, uh, but they find uh, the stone rolled away and the body missing. Now, in one sense, that's enough. There it is. Here's the proof that Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. But, of course, someone might object uh, that the body could have been stolen. But the women are confronted with two angels who make clear that that is not what happened. Uh, They tell the women that Jesus has risen. Verse 5, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He has risen. His body hasn't been stolen. He is no longer dead. He has risen. But it's what they say next that's very easy to overlook, but I think that is very important. Verse 6 again. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Uh, The women, the other disciples, they should not have been surprised that Jesus' body was not there because he had told them that he would rise after death. In fact, uh, Luke records Jesus saying it three times in the gospel, twice in chapter 9, once in chapter 18. Uh, That's important because it reminds us that Jesus' resurrection, uh, you know, it it doesn't come out of the blue. It's not unexpected. Wonderful miracle that it is. It's entirely expected. Uh, The resurrection is not a random event uh, that's just the icing on the cake to Luke's gospel. No, it is deeply woven into the very fabric of the gospel and the teaching of Jesus. Jesus had reassured his disciples that though he would die, he had to die. He would also be raised from the dead. They had not been able to grasp the idea that he, uh, as the Messiah, would die. And so they had not been expecting uh, uh, his death and uh, especially not his resurrection. It just seemed too good to be true. The disciples, including the women, sadly did not have the categories to expect this kind of momentous event. And yet they should have. Because Jesus had told them multiple times. And so Luke tells us verse 8, and I think this is significant in this first section, then they remembered his words. Uh, Then it clicked. Then they remembered his words. And I think Luke is showing us here that our faith in the resurrection does not rest on the eyewitness accounts alone. It rests on Jesus' words of prediction. Now, there is something a little bit circular about this. Why do we believe Jesus was telling the truth about himself? Well, we believe it because he rose from the dead. Why do we believe that he rose from the dead? Well, because uh, we believe it because he said he would. And yet, that kind of circularity is exactly what we'd expect if it was true, which it is. And it shows us that we can't break the connection between what Jesus did and what he said. Our faith in him is in what he did, he rose from the dead, and in what he said, he promised that he would. And so the implication is that if we want to grow in our faith, uh, to deepen our certainty, we need to read Jesus' words. Uh, Jesus himself is the one who can give us certainty in the truth about himself. Uh, The significance in this first section is that the women remembered Jesus' words. 
Yes, he was telling the truth. He was raised from the dead. So we can be confident in the resurrection because of Jesus' words. Uh, Secondly, we can be confident because of the witness of the women. Uh, Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, uh, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told them to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What we have here is an unflattering but realistic account of the first witnesses to the resurrection. Many people have pointed out that if the gospel writers were making this up, they would not have had women as the first witnesses. Sadly, in the first century, the testimony of women was not seen as significant or as reliable as that of men. And so writing in a first century context, if Luke, in fact the other gospel writers, were making this up, uh, they would not have women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. In a first century context, uh, this would have been seen as uh, embarrassing to the movement, to the Christian movement. And we can see how the apostles react to what the women say in verse 11. Uh, It just seems too good to be true. Their words seem like nonsense. And yet at the same time, they don't uh, dismiss the words altogether. And so Peter does go to the tomb to check for himself. And he finds the body gone and the grave clothes uh, laid aside. Now, that's just a little detail about the grave clothes uh, being laid aside, but it points to the fact that the body was not stolen. Uh, If it had been uh, stolen, well, they would have taken the whole body and the clothes uh, with them. And in fact, if you're stealing a body, uh, the grave clothes would have been the most valuable thing that you are stealing. And in fact, there may be a a more significant reason for including this. And uh, this may be a reference to Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. You can have a look at it uh, later. But in that chapter, uh, it talks about how when the priest has finished his work of sacrifice... Uh, He is to take off his linen garments and leave them in the tent of meeting. So maybe by including this detail, uh, uh, Luke is just giving us a nod to the fact that Jesus' resurrection signals that the work of redemption is complete. But in any case, we can be confident that Jesus was raised because of his words and because of the witness of the women and the other disciples. The third reason that we can be confident is because the scriptures promised it. Now, the bulk of this passage, uh, as uh, Ben read it earlier, you'll uh, remember, describes the encounter between Jesus and two of the disciples who are walking to the village of Emmaus. Uh, Verse 14, uh, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They then enter into a dialogue uh, in which uh, Jesus uh, asks them about what they're talking about, uh, and they they can't believe that he has to even ask. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked are you the only person visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened uh, there in these uh, days? I think we're meant to to feel the humor here. And uh, Cleopas uh, proceeds to 
uh, kind of lecture Jesus on uh, what has happened to him. Uh, verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since this has taken place. Uh, Cleopas goes on to recount how the women have been, uh, have been told that he is alive and that the tomb is empty, but they didn't see Jesus. Uh, Cleopas is disappointed and confused. And how does Jesus resp respond to his doubt, to his confusion, to his disappointment? Uh, does he comfort him? Does he reassure him? Does he say, no, it's, it's okay, it's me? No, he rebukes him, verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Uh, Cleopas and his companion should not have been surprised because they should have believed the Old Testament which made clear that the Messiah had to suffer and then to be raised in glory. And then the two disciples are privileged to have the best lecture on the Bible ever given. As Jesus explains from the Old Testament, from Moses and the prophets, everything about himself. Uh, presumably he would have gone to places like uh, Genesis 3, uh, the promise of the one who would crush the serpent, uh, Exodus, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed in the place of the sons of Israel, uh, Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses that God would raise up, uh, Numbers, uh, the snake in the desert that was raised up on the, on the pole and uh, that the Israelites could look at that and be healed, uh, or David and the promise that God made to David that his descendant uh, would reign forever. Or Isaiah 53, uh, the suffering servant who was uh, punished for the sins of his uh, people. Zechariah, who uh, looked on the one uh, that God had pierced. The resurrection uh, promised in Isaiah 53, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Or Hosea chapter 6, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us. The Old Testament is full of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his glory. And so the point is that Cleopas and his companions should not have been surprised. Not only had Jesus taught them that he would die and rise again, the scriptures had promised it. And it's not simply that the Old Testament is a collection of predictive prophecies, Sometimes that's what we, we think of, you know, the Old Testament has sort of this collection of sort of 40 or 50 verses that predict Jesus and his death and resurrection. No, the Old Testament actually explains and helps us to understand Jesus better. Look at verse 27 again, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Not just kind of proved about him, but explained. In other words, if you want to understand Jesus better, one of the best things you can do is read the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament gives us the, the kind of foundational uh, explanation of who Jesus is and what he has done. So why can we be confident in the resurrection? Well, we have Jesus' words, we have the testimony of the women, the other disciples, and we have the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, but there's one final aspect to this passage, and in some ways it's uh, the most important. 
Uh, fourthly, we are confident that Jesus rose from the dead because God has opened our eyes. Because God has opened our eyes. Uh, the detail we skipped over uh, concerns how the disciples failed to recognize Jesus. When he uh, walked alongside them, uh, Luke tells us that uh, they were kept from recognizing him. Now, there's been lots of kind of explanations given. Uh, is it because of their grief? They just, they just couldn't conceive that this would be uh, Jesus. Was it that he was so transformed that they uh, didn't recognize him? But again, Luke simply sells, tells us they were kept from recognizing him, or literally their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The implication is that God has spiritually closed their eyes so that uh, they could not grasp that it was Jesus. And so it's not until later when they shared a meal together that they were enabled to recognize him. Verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Uh, what's going on here with the breaking of bread? Uh, some people have uh, argued that Luke is making a reference to the Lord's Supper and uh, establishing its importance. It's almost when they do this uh, uh, kind of meal uh, symbolic of the, uh, the Lord's Supper that they, uh, they recognize him. Now, the Lord's Supper is, is very important, but I don't think that's what's going on here. There's no cup, there's no wine, so I don't think this makes us think of the Lord's Supper. I think it points us back to something else in Luke's Gospel, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, back in chapter 9, uh, Luke uses the same expressions. Uh, Jesus took the bread and broke it. Uh, so the breaking of bread here is an echo of that earlier miracle in uh, Luke's gospel. But importantly, even that miracle or that echo of that miracle that Jesus had done is not enough. It, it, it's their eyes need to be opened, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And the same thing happens later with the other disciples in verse 45. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Uh, what Luke is showing us is that we need God's word, Jesus' words, the testimony of the women and the disciples, the scriptures. We need God's word, but we also need God's work to grasp the risen Jesus. The disciples had the testimony of the women. They had the scriptures. They had Jesus' own words. They even had a reminder of one of his greatest miracles. But they needed to have their minds opened so they could grasp that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now that's both a challenge and a comfort. It's a challenge because it reminds us that we can't work Jesus out for ourselves. That the disciples had been with Jesus. They had all the evidence in the world, and yet they could not grasp his resurrection. It's a reminder that Christianity is not for the clever. In fact, some of the most intelligent people reject Christianity, even though they have all the evidence. You might be here uh, this morning, and uh, you might not call yourself a Christian. Uh, this is a reminder that you cannot work. You cannot work Jesus out on your own. Uh, the Christian life, the uh, Christian faith is not irrational. Uh, it is not irrational. This chapter is full of evidence for the resurrection, but it is more than rational. And so approaching God 
involves humility and dependence on him. This chapter, the New Testament as a whole, reminds you to approach God asking him to open your eyes and to open your mind. Not so that you will believe something that is not true, but so that you can grasp something that is both rational and spiritual. There is a spiritual dimension to the Christian faith. So that the resurrection of Jesus is not something that can be worked out like a mathematical formula or, or a scientific truth. God needs to open our eyes. That's humbling. It's challenging. We can't do it ourselves. We can only cry out to him for mercy. But it's also a comfort. It's a reminder that we are not in a worse off position than the disciples because we have not been physically with Jesus. Uh, the disciples had been with him for three years. They'd seen him perform multiple miracles, and yet they still could not grasp that he had been raised from the dead. And when they did grasp uh, that fact, then he disappeared from their sight. And, and importantly, when they looked back on that encounter with Jesus, what is it they, they look back at uh, with most fondness? Did you notice it? Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They've met the risen Lord Jesus, and what they're, yet what they're most excited about is the Bible study that they had with him. As God opens our eyes to grasp his word, that is when we have true joy and true confidence in the resurrected Lord Jesus. And so as we read Luke's gospel, we meet Jesus in the pages of the gospel. As we ask God to help us grasp who Jesus is and what he has done, like the disciples, our hearts can burn as we understand and grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so uh, read this chapter. Go back and read Luke's gospel. Consider the reasons that you have to be confident in Jesus, in who he is and what he has done. Be confident in Jesus' words. Be confident in the witness, the eyewitnesses, the, the women, the other disciples. Be confident in the Old Testament and ask God to open your eyes and convince you of the truth of the resurrection. Let's pray. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Our Father, we thank you so much for Luke's gospel. We thank you for this chapter. Uh, we thank you for uh, Luke showing us uh, the reasons that we have to be confident in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, but we know that uh, more than that, we need uh, you by your spirit to open our eyes to grasp the significance of these things. And we do pray that you would continue to work in our hearts by your spirit. Uh, help us to uh, grow in our appreciation of Jesus. Help us to grow in our confidence in his resurrection power. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory.